God has graciously blessed us with another opportunity to come together to study His Word together, to appreciate all that He has done for us and all that He has granted to us through the offering of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we consider our lesson for this, this afternoon, as we consider Matthew 19, one cannot help but know and understand that the home is the foundation of any society. As a matter of fact, we have three divine institutions. In other words, those that are opposite of human institutions. In other words, by divine, we mean three institutions that God has established. Of course, the home is the first of those institutions. And then we find civil government has also been established by God as a divine institution. And we noted those things in Romans 13 that these things, these powers that be, are ordained of God. But we also realize and hopefully know that the church is the final and greatest of those divine institutions. But it's from the home that the other two, whether it be civil government or the church, is populated. So that in and of itself shows us how important the home is. If we're to have the government that really was pleasing to God, we need to understand the importance of the home. If we're to see how the church is glorious and understand the church in a universal sense, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, uh, cannot be uh, flawed or, or, or made wrong by man. But from a local church standpoint, if we're to have the churches that God would have us to be, the churches of Christ that glorify and honor Jesus Christ, its head and their Lord, the home is pivotal to that taking place. Beloved, if we're to have a church that is completely organized as according to God's will, without the proper home, without the proper understanding of the home, that will not take place because the very qualifications of elders or deacons must must have the homes that God commands of it. So the home is important. And Jesus Christ, as we see here, deals with the home, the very fundamental relationship of the home, and that is the husband and wife, and of course the union of marriage to bond together the man and the woman into husband and wife by which the family, the home is established. Of course, God being the foundation of those things, that is proper in his word. So in Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 12. I'd just like to read that to begin our lesson. It says that it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings. He departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying unto him. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be, or they twain, brother, shall be one flesh. Wherefore there are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples said unto him, 
If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this same, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which are born eunuchs from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Lot of important things, essential things for us to gather from those verses. I'd like to talk about Jesus in Matthew 19. And more specifically, Jesus and Matthew 19 in the 21st, uh, 21st centuries. Have the things that Jesus Christ said here, are they still applicable? Do they still apply? Are they still relevant to us? Are we still bound by them? Are we to adhere to those things? Are we to obey the words of Jesus here in these particular verses. Well, as we consider Matthew 19 and marriage, we have to understand the format. We have to understand the context here, the pre procedure or the process that, that, is, that is going on and how Jesus Christ literally gave this discourse and how he stated these things. Now, in answering the question about divorce, remember, that was the question that they presented to Jesus. And they said, the Pharisees said, tempting him, is it lawful? Uh, say with, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So that's the question that's initially presented to Jesus. And Jesus invariably, invariably rather, teaches about marriage. It's important for us to see that. You see, they brought up the question of divorce. Jesus answered the question by going to marriage. Dealing with marriage itself. Instead of appealing to the popular thinking and influence of the day, Jesus also appealed to Scripture to establish the foundation. You see, there were two schools of thought that most believe uh, during this particular time. One was that you could put away your wife for every cause. The other was that you could put away your wife or could not put away from, uh, put your wife away for any cause at all. No cause would allow you to put her away. Of course, Halil and Shemiel were the ones who, or Shemiel rather, were the ones who would espouse both of these schools of thought. Now, Jesus Christ, in answering this question or responding, went to marriage itself. He didn't appeal to what the school of thoughts were. He appealed to what the authority of God was. You see, we have to be mindful of that. We go to the Word of God. Oftentimes when we enter a discussion like this, we begin to appeal not necessarily to society and those who claim to be experts in society. That's true in some cases. But we will, we will appeal to what Brother So-and-so has taught and what he's written in his book. We will appeal to the latest pamphlet or study about marriage from brother so-and-so or that comes from school so-and-so. Oh, see, we, we fall into the same trap. We fall into the same trap. And we begin to treat those brothers and those writings as if they are authoritative. Shame on us for doing that. And I know we all know, brethren, that we respect. But understand, Jesus Christ didn't appeal to the rabbis and the teachers of that day. He appealed to the authority of God. You see, he appealed to God as creator and addressed the permanency of the, of the institution as created by that creator. Go back to verses 3 and 6. Notice what he says, uh, beginning verse 4. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? The creator 
God created them. He created them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall uh, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now remember, when this was stated by Moses in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 20, understand, remember, there was no father and mother. Adam and Eve were the first one. So Jesus Christ was not just establishing an already established, or affirming rather, an already established practice. He went back to the beginning with the creator who establishes the practice itself, who established the institution, who established the union, who made things as they were. Even before there were, was a father and a mother, Jesus Christ is saying a man's going to leave father and mother. He's going to have his own authority. He's going to be the head of his own house. His father and his mother won't be running his house. That's important for him to leave. So Jesus Christ is establishing this authority already. Already. Have you not read? And understand the Pharisees would have most certainly known what the scripture said. And so it's not a matter. So, so, okay. So maybe y'all don't know this. No, have you not read? Much like you did in Matthew chapter 22 when it came to the Sadducees. Have you not read that, that God said that, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, he's not the God of the living. Or dead, rather, I'm sorry, but the God of the living. So Jesus Christ, have you not read? Have you not read? And so, now, Jesus went back to the Creator and what the Creator established. Now, notice, right after verse 25, right after verse 25 is, uh, and going back to Genesis chapter 20, I'm sorry, right after verse 25 in Genesis chapter 2, what do we find? Well, after God has set this, this process of these commands in order, we find that sin entered into the world. This is important because the 21st century has forgotten and neglected the premise of Matthew chapter 19. God established a, 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 a marriage. He set forth the, the commandments regarding marriage. He set forth the co components that would entail marriage. But now after Genesis chapter 3, we see the dynamic changing. As a matter of fact, we'll even see a man by the name of Lamech who had two wives. That's not what God said. So because of sin, the dynamic of marriage was changed or altered. Not by God, but as practiced by man. And so Jesus Christ, instead of appealing to what it was going on in that day and time, and for us to understand, instead of appealing to what's going on in our day and time, let us too go back to the beginning as Jesus our Lord did. You see, time may change, but God's order does not. God's order does not. It has not changed. I, it doesn't matter what society thinks and what the world practices and preaches and teaches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you may remember we noted this verse earlier in a previous lesson today, but I want us to go back. It has not changed. It has not changed at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. That order has not changed. It is the same today as if it was in the beginning or ought to be as if it was in the beginning when God established marriage. Remember, the woman was not made for the man. I'm sorry, the man was not made for the woman, but the woman was made for the man. Consider how significant that is and how rejected that is in our day and time. 
Could you imagine going into this world and saying, look, the woman was made for the man. The man was not made for the woman. And I'll present to you, if you do an extra study, if you go back and you look at Genesis, Eve was made a wife for Adam as she was created for Adam. Adam could not find a helpmeet that was comparable to him, suitable to him. So God gave him one. And it was woman. It was Eve. It was his wife. And so that's what we find at the beginning. That has not changed. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, 22 and 24, this has not changed. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let so, the, uh, let, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That has not changed. Or it ought not to have changed. God has not changed it. There's no new revelation that has come from God of setting that order, of setting that purpose, of setting those commands, and has changed or altered them. There is no such revelation that has existed, and may I present to you, will not exist. Our respective roles must remain the same. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through verse 15. Now, you know we live in a world. We live in a world that this 21st century that rejects and denies the, uh, the verses that we've already established, the verses that we've already seen through the will of God, through the word of God. They already reject those things. And we know that many in the church, those who claim to be God's people, have already rejected those things. It's evident by the homes in, in, in our congregations, in the Lord's people, among the Lord's people in the congregations. People have already departed from these structures, from these commands, from these roles. Now notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul would refer or, or, or literally trace back to an earlier time, the beginning, just as Jesus did to affirm and establish some things. We find in verse number 9, I'll tell you, in, in verse number, let me start with verse uh, uh, 8. He said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands with that, without wrath and without doubting. I believe here the word man is the word uh, annual, which means a male, a man. There, men are to be leaders. In local churches, that's what I believe the context is. And I know there's some who disagree, but, but that's fine. We, we can always talk about it. I've talked to those who disagree with me about this, and it's not just me but others. But I do believe that's the, the context here, the workings within a local congregation, a local work. That's why he says, I would may, uh, men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without uh, wrath and without doubting. In like manner, also the women. See, women are to pray. This can't mean outside of the congregation or a con congregational setting or local church setting to be a universal or general rule for it because women ought to pray and can pray and should pray are commanded to pray outside of this type of assembly. Now they can't lead in the prayer. Of course they're praying along with the brother who's leading in the prayer. So also are the men praying with the brother who's leading the prayer. So, but that's not what he's talking about. And notice he says, in like manner also women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or, or, or pearls, rather, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. 
I do not uh, suffer or permit a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Stop. Let's pause for just one moment. How many times have we heard people espouse or read these verses, and the next thing you know they're talking about how it was back in those days? That's the first century. That's not now. Here's why Paul is saying this. Here's why the Bible says this. In those days they were dealing with separate issues that, that we don't deal with in our day and time. How many times do we hear that? Well, much like we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. Much like we find in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through verse number 12. Uh, specifically, uh, verses 1 through verse 6. Just as we find here... Notice the appeal is to a former time. As a matter of fact, Paul goes back to the beginning. He says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now people may say, well, the application is not prevalent today. Well, you ain't going to change that. You're not going to go back and change the fact that Adam was formed first and then Eve. You can't reach back in history and change that truth. So guess what? The truth that's being applied still applies. Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity, holiness, and sobriety. The women's role is not that of leadership in the local church or in their homes where they have a husband. That is the man's job. That is the man's responsibility. That does not mean that women are to be diminished and, and made trivial and, and their roles are not to be important. I'll tell you, we look at the Bible, we'll see how important the role of, of women, of mothers and wives are, or wives and mothers, properly stated. That's not it at all. But Paul goes back to the beginning for those who say, well, that's just a first century issue. No, uh, Paul made that a humanity issue. A human issue has not changed. In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 15, you know, when I look at marriages and from a statistical standpoint, one of the overriding components or causes of divorce is the fact, the lack of dependency upon one another. See, so many marriages, so many homes in our day and time, the two people, the husband and the wife, are not dependent on one another. Dare we say that they are independent of one another in many regards, except for certain things. In Titus chapter 2, notice how Paul, and again, expressing the roles of both men and women, and more specifically here, husbands and wives, or fathers and mothers, Notice how Paul still tells us that these things have not or ought not have changed. In Titus 2, beginning in verse number 1, and I would ask that if it's changed in one element or one aspect, why does it not change in the others? But, thou speak, uh, but speak thou the things which become a sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Is that changed? No. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. 
And there is nothing ever placed in the Word of God that is placed there coincidentally because the Holy Spirit inspires all these things. So when he says to love their husbands, to love their children, yes, that order is appropriate, and yes, that order is accurate. You also love my husband more than my children. Yes, yes, you are. You mean my husband comes before my children? Yes, yes, he does. Well, wait a minute. How can I take care of my children? No, 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 no. See, the, uh, a godly husband knows that there are needs of that child, the needs of that child that, that have to be taken care of. But we're talking about priority. We're talking about emphasis. Because you know and I know that there are women who say, I will leave him before I leave my child. I will, will, I will forsake him before I don't do anything for my children. There are women, there are wives, there are mothers that their children are God. They worship the ground that they walk on. And the husband, the husband takes a back seat to everything and all things. No, no. You go back to the beginning. God made Eve a wife before he made Eve a mother. Okay? Anyway. Yeah, we got a lot to say about that, but we, we digress. That they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now watch this, watch this. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. Now I've heard people say about at home. Well, no, that just means of the home. Okay, true. I get that. But the preposition is still what it is. As a matter of fact, when you look at other verses, that preposition is literally used to mean at the prison, at the temple, at it. Guess what? That is talking about location just as much as it is responsibility. Where is the central focus for the location? At home. At home. Okay? And that, that, that's not, we, we understand what that means. Just like we understand what it means to be at work. We know what it means to be at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands. And I, I, I said this this morning. I want to say it again. We have to be careful about implementing our own wisdom. Because we believe that, well, this is a matter of management. As if women in the first century just didn't know how to manage their time. They just didn't get it. See, they don't have all the technological advances that we have to help us do what we do. You see, they, back in those days, no, I can understand how it would be difficult to, to juggle a, a, a husband, a, a children, the home, a career. But see, we have so many things to help us out. They just didn't have what we have. It's a matter of management. It's a matter of time management. It's a matter of prioritizing and being able to do everything within my day. No, the reason is not time management. The reason is that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, I think I can figure out a different way to keep God's word from being blasphemed. And do what I want to do. Have you not read... That which Paul said at the beginning. That they're to be chaste keepers at home. That the word of God be not blasphemed. 
And notice, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Has that changed? No. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. That has not changed. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he which is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to speak of you. No, that hasn't changed. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things not answering again. That has not changed. Well, see now, we'd have been masters now. That's a whole different bargain. You're talking about slaves. You understand, slavery that we know in our country was not the slavery that was being discussed by Paul here. That slavery is prohibited and condemned by God. As a matter of fact, through the writings of Paul himself, you can't be no man stealer. You can't abuse people. You can't beat people and take their wives and sell them off and take their children and sell them off. That's against everything that God says. So when we make this comparison about slaves and masters, he is not talking about slavery as it was presented in our day and time in our country or any other slavery that would not allow people to fulfill God's will and went against it. So, don't, don't go there either. Well, that's changed. No, not really. Anyway, these things have not changed. So why is it we go and pick out one little part of it and say that that has? Says who? There's no dependency upon one another. I got mine. You got yours, which two separate components that come together for a time to fulfill the obligations that one may have to another. But we all have our own lives. We do our own thing. You got your career. I got my career. You have your salary. I have my salary. You have your life. I have my life. You have your friends. I have my friends. We have all these various things. Where do we find that in the scriptures? We're not talking about two separate lives that come together just at certain times. We're talking about two people who've been made one flesh. And by the way, that word one is the same word you find when God made the first day and hallowed it. That word first is the one one. In other words, we find a different union, a different bond that has been established by God that can only be established by God. There is only this union in marriage that God has ordained. That's the only way we can be one flesh with one another. Man can't do that. You see, even though man may say you can divorce, you can remarry, Jesus acknowledged and you marry another, you commit adultery. He's not denying the fact that you marry someone else. But that bond, that one flesh that God has bound, man cannot separate that. He can't do it. You are still bound to someone else when you remarry after an unlawful divorce. And that's why it's adultery. Because you can't undo that bond. Man can't do that. After teaching the permanency of marriage, and that's what Jesus Christ did at the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so. The Pharisees then brought the question of divorce. Notice... Again, I think it's so important we realize that. Jesus addressed the permanency of marriage. They brought this up again. So that's when Jesus addresses this. So when people come, well, you know, uh, we think about getting a divorce, and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to see if I can get remarried. No, you don't need to get a divorce. Well, why, why are you getting a divorce? What's going on here? Well, as long as I don't get remarried, right? No, 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 no. Jesus talked about marriage. Now, they brought this question up again. You see, Jesus then addressed that. But once again, notice he appealed to Scripture. 
In Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 8, notice what our Lord did. He appealed once again to Scripture. Jesus appealed to the authority of God to answer their question again. Look at verse 8. Well, see, they asked, well, they said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a right of divorcement and to put it away? What did Jesus Christ say? Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But, here he says it again, from the beginning it was not so. Somebody, somebody help me find that verse in Genesis chapter 2 that talks about divorce. Somebody help me find that verse now, because see, I haven't found it. I've looked. Maybe somebody has great insight and wisdom that can help me find that verse. When God established marriage, when was divorce ever talked about? Now, I realize that men married more than one wife. See, the times of this ignorance, God winked at, overlooked, but now commands all, all men everywhere to repent. Yeah, God permitted that. God allowed that. But do you realize, have you studied, have you seen the devastation that has come because men did that which God did not ordain? Look at David's life. <laughs> look, look, you know, Ishmael, the heirs, guess where that came from? Look at the problems that men have had because they went against what Moses said God ordained. But Jesus went right back to scriptures. From the beginning it was not so. He said it was because of the hardness of your hearts. See, Jesus teaches that divorce was never God's original intent. Never was. Never was. When man had taken a wife in Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 1, because that's what Jesus Christ is referring to because of the hardness of your hearts. He refers back to Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 1. Then uh, when a man had taken a wife and married her, it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he had found some uncleanliness in her. Then let him write a bill, write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her and send her out of his house. Now remember, this was because of the hardness of their heart. And note the context, he finds some uncleanness in her. Well, we just don't get along. I, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying. I just, I just don't know what else to do. I don't find that there. And Jesus doesn't say that either. He gives one exception. One cause. And it's not just a cause by which somebody can get remarried. May I present to you that Jesus gives one cause by which people can get a divorce and be right in the eyes of God. That word hardness is interesting. Other places in Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 14 specifically in the New American Standard Version we find this process, this principle. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week he first appeared to Mary Magdalene whom he had cast out seven devils. She went and re uh, reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe. Believe it or not, their heart was hardened, other versions and translations indicate. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them 
while they were walking along on the way to the, uh, to the country, they went away and reported it to the uh, others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. You see the connection between, uh, between because of the hardness of their hearts and unbelief? Hardness of their hearts and unbelief. It was because of the hardness of your hearts, your unbelief, that Moses gave you a right in the divorce, man. How many times do we see in the Old Testament, whether it be Gomer and Hosea, or Hosea and Gomer, that God, that was not God's plan that was not God he told him to go back and uh, go find a wife of harlotry how many times do we see these principles the true nature of God's principles the true nature of God's commands set forth in scripture about the bond the connection between the husband and wife and how that bond is permanent yes we see men marrying other uh, women and having concubines but please understand along with all of that we see examples and commandments of God regarding the permanency of marriage as well as commanded by God he said Moses did that but when you find God giving it was always that bond that permanency of marriage that's why God said I hate divorce in Malachi they were putting away the wives of their youth God hated that there's a man by the name of D.A. Carson who said this about Deuteronomy 24 and divorce divorce is never to be thought of as a God as God rather ordained a moral neutral option, a God-ordained moral neutral option, but as, an, uh, but as evidence of sin, of hardness of heart. That's what it is evident of. And that's what Jesus Christ said. Jesus, not, uh, Jesus was not commanding divorce, but regulating it. He was not commanding it, but he was regulating it. Why? Because of the hardness of our hearts. That's why Moses gave it. That's why we have the somebody, somebody in any divorce is not doing or was not doing what God commanded. Somebody, it could be both bodies, but it was somebody, somebody that was not doing what God said. It's no way around that. We can't, we can say divorces were mutual, uh, uh, they were agreed upon. Oh, we're better friends now than we were when we were married. I just don't get that. I really don't. Even when you divorce and there's custody issues, another man or another woman is calling your children, they're calling them mommy and daddy, and we are just, hey, how you doing, Sue? Oh, I'm doing good, Harold. How's everything been? Oh, it's wonderful. Me and the new wife, we're having a one. Just came back from vacation. Hey, little Johnny. Hey, little Susie. How's your other mother doing? How's your other father? Oh, mommy and daddy. Was, I can't believe we accept that foolishness. And when you look at it historically, there are so many problems from the children of divorce. Guess what you got to Who has told us that's okay? We're better friends now than we've ever been. Why couldn't you get along that well when you were married? It's because of the hardness of somebody's heart. That's why. You would not, you would not show the love that needed to be shown. Whoever. It was an issue of faithfulness. It was an issue of selfishness. I don't know. Better friends now. That's the most ludicrous thing I ever heard. I can't remember. 
And there's so many older couples that are getting divorced after 30 years of marriage. That I cannot believe. I'm, I'm sitting there looking at my wife for 32 years. And we're divorced. And I can't even fathom my wife and I being friends without being married. I can't even fathom my wife dating some other dude. And I'm okay with that. Man, please. People say, well, you're a jealous husband. You better believe it. You're possessive. Yes, sir, I am. Do y'all know the, the word husband and wife, the word une and anger, can be translated it's based on the context? It could be, well, that's my wife. That, it's the same word, woman. That's my woman. Well, that's my husband. That's my man. You know, we say phrases like that. That's true. That's what those words mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, my body's not mine. It's hers. Her body's not hers. It's mine. You better believe I'm possessive. I, man, I don't apologize for that. No, sir. That's my wife. And I'm her husband. In Jeremiah chapter 3, 7 through 8, you know, when we see that even when an impropriety has happened. Guys, can I ask y'all a question? What about forgiveness? What happens when unfaithfulness enters into a marriage? Whether it be by the husband or by the wife. I believe in the context Jesus Christ was addressing men and women, but you know, these days. What, what happens when that happens? Brother Brian, you, you know. What do people, what do preachers know? Well, you better divorce him or her first, because guess what? If you don't, you won't be able to get remarried. What about forgiveness? Is it okay if our spouse was to repent that we said, well, uh, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's over. It's over. Now, again, I'm not by any means saying, well, you're saying that Jesus Christ didn't say what he said and mean what he meant. I'm just telling you, you better know God knows your heart. And God is able to peer in places where you don't even realize it's there. That's why he's giving you your word to his word to examine that and challenge that. What are your motives? Can we forgive? In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, notice, And I said, this is God, now uh, Jeremiah, and uh, God, rather, uh, speaking through Jeremiah, And I said, after she had done all these things, again, talking about Israel, specifically Judah, Turn thou unto me, but she returned not, I'm sorry, Israel, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw with for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also, and God would do the same to them. Well, you see, Brother Harold, even from a spiritual standpoint, God said he, said he put away Israel. And you know he put away Judah as well. Now, now there it is. I'm no better than God. Well, I want you to consider this before you jump there. How long had God warned Israel before he put them away? Allowed them to go into captivity. How long suffering was he with Israel before that happened? How long suffering was he with Judah before that happened? Did he forgive them when they initially uh, committed these? What, what was the putting away? They would not repent. 
they would not repent. I present to you, if there is repentance, maybe, just maybe, we need to try a little harder to forgive before we divorce. We need to try coming to the altar of God before we go to the courthouse. Because especially when you have children, there are going to be so many little precious souls that are at stake because we can't forgive and move on past. Thank God. God does not treat us that way. Now, again, I know, I don't know personally from my standpoint, from a man's standpoint, how difficult that is. And you best believe it's difficult. Amen. Amen. But may I say to you, and it's only in lessons like this that I even say something like this, but I thank God for the forgiveness of my wife when we initially got married. Now, I can make excuses. Well, I wasn't a Christian. I, I really didn't. Blah, blah, blah. These verses... Are applicable to all people. Marriage is honorable among all. So I should have been who I need to be. But you know what? I thank God. That's why I tell married couples that I'm counseling, post first few years of marriage, I'm going to tell you right now, you better buckle down. You better, you better root yourself in because they're going to be difficult. They're going to be difficult. And they're going to be challenges that you never experienced before. Remain faithful. So you take that as a confession, you take that as acknowledgement, you take that as encouragement that it is possible for us to forgive. And he said, then he says, and I say unto you, in verse 9, and I say unto you, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, if you put away your wife. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, committeth adultery. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31, it had been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give, a right, or let, uh, him give her a right of divorcement. But I say unto you, that to whosoever shall put away his wife, having a saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 11, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. Luke 16 and 18, whosoever put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. May I present to you that there's a lot of adultery going on in this world and there's a lot of people going to go to hell because of it if they don't repent. We have made it okay. No, we don't have the authority. Whatever God has joined together, let not man put asunder and I say unto you again that's the authority this is a school of thought that teaches uh, this teaches rather only to the Jews there's a school of thought I'm sorry that teaches that this was only to the Jews only to the Jews and does not apply to the Gentiles in other words does not apply to us well you know when you look at the penalty for adultery for those who want to say it's only to the Jews what was the penalty for adultery in the law of Moses Brother Brian? Death. Well, no, they would just put him away. No, no, remember, that was because they found some uncleanness in her. No, the penalty for adultery was death. Remember in uh, Leviticus 20, verse number 10? And a man that committed adultery with another man's wife, even that committed, uh, even, see he rather, that committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be purely put to death. That was in the law. 
So what is Jesus talking about? He's only speaking to the Jews. No, actually, actually, he was telling these Pharisees that came to him, from the beginning this was not so. And if, if, if you put your wife away, your husband away, except to be for the cause of fornication, and you marry another, you commit adultery. And guess what happens when that happens? Condemnation. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, I will judge, God says. Death, death. And the scribes and the Pharisees sought, uh, brought unto him a woman that was taken in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Did Moses command that? Yes, he did. But what did Jesus Christ say? Go and sin no more. So guys, if the Jews got what the law actually said, they would have been in trouble. Jesus gave mercy, not that the law wasn't applicable, but Jesus came and taught the grace and the forgiveness that will be in him. We, not any of us, get what we deserve. We get what God grants and what he gives, but Lord knows we don't get what we deserve. If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here. This assembly would not exist. This world wouldn't exist if we got what we deserve. Okay, very quickly, you know that there's only one reason, two reasons whether we find. Either your spouse dies, okay, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, uh, you can't marry again again. If your spouse dies, we see that. Again, Paul says that in Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3. And once again, we see the idea of a putting away, again, I'm going to emphasize, of an unrepentant spouse. Then we can put them away. And then we can put them away and be married again. Okay? And so those are the, that, that's it. Uh, Matthew 19, an adultery marriage, again, without, is without just cause. The importance of scriptural silence. What does Jesus say? Jesus said that the only lawful cause for divorce is fornication. The only lawful way for remarriage, the only lawful way for remarriage, again, is the reconciliation of the spouse to the one that they are bound to, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 11, or if one puts some way away for fornication, of course, other than the sense of someone dies. That's it. That's it. There's no other. I, I know they were on crack. They were on meth. They were a gambler. Uh, they were abusive. Uh, they kicked the dog. They spit on the cat. They did all of these things. Therefore, no, no. Mm -mm. Now, when it comes to physical abuse, there may be a cause for separation until someone gets some help. I, I, I agree with that. But there's still no cause for divorce. It does not exist. Except for those three things. Okay. It does not exist. Except for those three things. Alright. Uh, okay. I'm going to leave this uh, slide again. Uh, for Bryant or the presentation. If you want to just give me an email. Some of you have already done that. And we'll look at it. There's some other things. I normally do this in a two part. So we'll. 
we won't do that this evening. We'll be here for a little bit longer. Uh, but we do deal with the idea of homosexuality. And, of course, Matthew 19 speaks against that. Well, what does Matthew 19 say against homosexuality? He made them male and female. That's what he said against uh, sexual uh, homosexuality. Well, that's not saying anything against homosexuality. Oh, yes, it is. Made them male and female. In other words, there's no other bond, no other union that I spoke of. Period. Just like Gopher would. We talked about that in our first lesson. How does the Bible teach? Specific excludes. It does not include. Okay? All right. So, as we consider these things, uh, and there, there were, of course, more things to look at. Guys, for the, Matthew 19 is still pertinent for us in our day and time. It has not changed. And, you know, we as, we as evangelists, we as preachers, we give lessons like this, and we are amazed at how people take those lessons away. And people that perhaps have heard lessons like this know where we stand, know what we believe, know what we try to show. Know what, they know what they know, and they still get a divorce. And, and in many cases, they still get married. As a matter of fact, I dare say in most cases, anytime you hear somebody say, well, we're not going to remarry, you best believe, that's coming. Because if they're willing to divorce contrary to God's will, you best believe they're willing to remarry contrary to God's will. And they'll blame it all on grace. They'll blame it all on the fact, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to go on with my life. All that stuff that the world teaches. And God's saying, no, I wanted you to be faithful. And it's going to be bad when you face me unless you repent. So. Jesus in Matthew 19 deals with me and Jesus. It ultimately deals with that relationship as well. So, Matthew 19. Dare we say, guys, if we can't be faithful in, in that basic first initial divine institution, our faithfulness in any other aspect of our life is going to be wanting. Dare we say, dare we expound the idea that if we're not faithful in this, can we even be faithful in anything else? Unless we adhere to what God has said. Marriage was a type to the relationship that we have with Christ in the church. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5. I speak to you a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's what marriage was to do to show us that relationship that we have with our Lord and with our Savior. And if we can understand that from a basic situation, a home, the home, Lord knows we're not going to understand it with the church. And may I also say this in conclusion. That's why we as Christians ought not to be marrying non-Christians. Now I know I done stepped in another can of worms. I'm not saying you were already married to him or her when you became a Christian. I'm talking about marrying someone as a Christian that is not one. <sighs> okay. But I just challenge everybody, open up your Bible and show me what that's what God wants you to do. I know that's what you want to do. But I'm talking about what God wants you to do. Now show me that verse. And the lesson's yours. I, I'm going to stop on that one. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I encourage you. We encourage you to become one. As we said that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, one must be in Jesus Christ. By faith, repentance, confessing Christ before men and being baptized. Uh, the water's ready. I believe I saw some water back here. Uh, water's ready. Water's ready. So are you ready? What are you waiting on? If you know what you need to do.
and you are able, you're here to be able to do it. What's stopping you? And if as a child of God you have strayed away from your God, please come back because he's giving you opportunity. We'd love to help you in those endeavors as you're standing as we sing.